My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing in your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or, the weary, or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of plenty, pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. So one of the nice things I like about a, a room like this in, a, in our new place is it's compact enough that I get to interact with audience, which I've always enjoyed doing in all of the years that I've been preaching. I've always liked a, a, a room where I can see everybody in the back and read faces and we can talk back and forth. Most of my, actually most of my, pastoral career, my teaching and preaching has been more interactive than it has been the last several years. Those of you who've been on Saturday night services, you know that that's been true. It was more interactive, right? And so we get to do that this morning and for the next few weeks, and then a year from now, hopefully going forward, because the new design facilitates this more. So we're going to start, kind of get a taste of that this morning. I'm going to give you a word, first image or thought or phrase that pops into your mind. I want you to capture it. And then we're going to do a little popcorning where I'm going to just collect from you what popped into your mind. You got it? You got, it? You got what I'm talking about here? Okay, here's, here's, here's the image. Mickey Mouse. No, not Mickey Mouse. I'm teasing. Okay, you ready? Here it is. Here's the word. Prosperity. Prosperity. What picture or phrase, thought pops into your mind? Prosperity. I'll give you a second to kind of formulate it. See it? Got it? All right. Somebody tell me, what popped into your head? Cornucopia, like full of fruits and vegetables. Oh, yeah, the Thanksgiving scene where you got, you know, yeah, great idea. All right. Good. Somebody else? Life. I'm sorry? Life. Life. Good. Back over here? Live long and prosper. <laughs> Man, I had no awesome Spock. Yes. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. A full harvest. Great. Good. Somebody else. Yes, ma'am. Prosperity gospel, which is so huge in our, in our culture where, 
you see constantly being taught uh, through different uh, voices in Christianity today and uh, our world that if you basically, you know, you manipulate God to make you rich um, through uh, mechanistic forms, materialistic uh, interactions with God. Yeah, prosperity gospel. Uh, others, what, what pops into your head? Yes, sir. Comfort. Comfort. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Your first home? Psalm 1. Okay. Interesting. Now, what made you say Psalm 1? Okay, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The man who doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful and all that. Yeah, good point. Good point. Yes. Peace. Yeah, good. Peace. Somebody else. Yes. Bitcoin. <laughs> well, at least until about a month ago or two months ago. <laughs> yeah. Okay, don't be afraid to say it. How many of you in some way or another thought lots of money? Raise your hand. Yeah. Okay, a bunch of you put your hand up. Yeah, I mean, when, I mean that's, let's face it. In our culture, prosperity is equated with lots of money, lots of things, a house, car, comfort, material things. That's typically what prosperity is associated with. Um, and here's the thing about prosperity. Did you know prosperity isn't inherently evil? It's not. In, in fact, in our text, Solomon actually puts a prosperous life before his children and, for, and before the young people of the kingdom as a, a key motivator as to why they should listen to his teachings and to what he's telling them and as a motivation for why they should pursue God's wisdom and a life that is lived according to God's wisdom. In our text this morning, he actually says, one of the reasons, young people, you should pursue God's wisdom and live according to God's wisdom is so that you can be prosperous. How about that? He uses prosperity as a motivation to pursue God's wisdom. Now, in saying that, I immediately have to point us to verses 1 and 2. Because in verses 1 and 2, we have to make the observation that when we're talking about true prosperity, the prosperity that God offers is not the hollow prosperity that our world idolizes. The prosperity that God is offering in this passage is true prosperity. And so as you see in verse 1, when Solomon says, my son, and it's not just his only, he's talking about all the, all the young men and all the young women who are in the kingdom, especially those who are, are going to be leading and ruling in the kingdom. He says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for. And that word for, that's important. Now he's saying, here's why I want you to, to, to listen to what I'm saying, to get after this wisdom that I'm going to be bringing to you for, and just as a reminder, last week I told you the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs is all about Solomon saying, you know, here's why. Here's why you should do, and here's why you should uh, take the wisdom that I'm going to be offering to you and, and apply it and, and learn it and, and heed it. And so for nine chapters, before you ever get to all those little Proverbs that everyone likes to listen to, and, you know, the, you know, we all have our little favorites, you know, like, 
you know, don't spare the rod, spoil it, you know, or whatever, you know, or don't, you know, living in a house with a contentious woman is better to be out on the corner of your roof, or, you know, all the different proverbs that you might like. Sorry, ladies, I had to throw that one out there, okay, just because it's a joke nowadays. But anyway, um, you know, all those little proverbs that you have, um, before you ever get to them, he spends nine chapters saying, here's why you should read and listen to what I'm about to tell you. And in chapter one, he's already given them an important reason. He's saying that God's wisdom will keep you away from foolish young people who will get you involved in criminal activities and ruin your life. Wisdom will keep you safe and keep you as a, as a, as a law-abiding citizen. It'll put you on the way of of life. And in chapter two, he gives them another reason. He says, when you pursue God's wisdom, you will come to understand God and you will live according to the fear of the Lord. And by doing that, it will keep you from living immorally, wasting your life with immoral people. And now we come to chapter three, a third, why? My son, do not forget my teaching, but let, your, let, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. That word peace, some of you in your translation, it says prosperity, and that's exactly right. That word peace there literally can be translated as prosperity, but it's got a different idea. The prosperity here is not talking about the sudden prosperity that comes to somebody who, for example, may win the lottery or get a lot of money from an inheritance. Financial abundance and having a ton of money does not necessarily equal prosperity, true prosperity. I mean, after all, there are plenty of people who have won the lottery who later came to hate their winnings because their life was turned upside down, and they had no more peace in their lives. False prosperity, the prosperity of this world that is tied to material things, it is, it's false prosperity because what it gives you is temporary happiness. That's the world's prosperity. It's a hollow prosperity. And, and yes, you can, you can use money and material things and, and you can buy and have this toy and this vacation and all of those things will bring you happiness for a season, but it is temporary, it's fleeting, and it passes away. Even this week, you know, came to my attention a couple that I know of in another area of, of the city. They have everything that this world defines as um, necessary for happiness. They are prosperous by this world's standards. They are beautiful people with beautiful children, a beautiful house, beautiful cars, beautiful boat, beautiful clothes. They go to a beautiful school, best schools in the area. They have beautiful, beautiful bank accounts. <laughs> and they have beautiful jobs. I mean, jobs are like, man, that is a cool job. They got beautiful everything. I mean, they are a beautiful couple. And they're miserable. And they're divorcing. See, in the Bible, prosperity is peace and satisfaction and wholesomeness of life. It is eternal, lasting happiness and joy which transcends circumstances. 
It transcends the size of your bank account. It can be large, it can be small, it can be in between. You can have a small house, medium house, large house, new car, old car. It transcends all of those things, material things, in your circumstance. Think of, think of it like this. Think completeness, wholeness, harmony, absence of strife. How do you put a dollar amount on absence of strife in your life? Absence of stress. <laughs> That's huge. Think healthy relationships. Think fulfillment in whatever you do. Think satisfaction. I'm satisfied. I'm content. That's prosperity. And true prosperity, God's prosperity. Now, it may involve material things and money, but it doesn't require them. You can be prosperous with lots of those things or without lots of those things. But if there is one thing that is required for true prosperity, it's this right here. It's God's wisdom. And, and so what you see in this passage of Scripture is at the very beginning of the passage, and, and this is common in Hebrew writing. Remember, it's poetic. This is poetic literature. And there's a structure in Hebrew poetic literature. And so at the front you have of, this, of this section, you have this incredible statement, you want God's wisdom because it will make you prosperous. And at the end of it, it kind of is reinforced with another beautiful poetical expression of what this looks like and how God's wisdom brings true prosperity. I mean, look at how it's described in verses 13 to 18, where we see the importance of wisdom. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed." See, what Solomon does is he personifies wisdom. Do you notice the gender of wisdom in that passage? Amen. <laughs> Good timing. It's a woman. It's female, right? All you women say amen. Amen. Yeah, that's right. It has been suggested that the reason why Solomon personifies wisdom as a woman is because he's, you know, addressing this to his sons, and he's saying, essentially, you know, to young men whose minds are always occupied with women, that there is no better woman than wisdom, you know, and he's, he's playing off of that desire for a good woman. And while that is certainly, you know, true in a lot of ways, no. Uh, in the Hebrew, you have male and female words, and it's in the feminine form, and so it's appropriate to say she instead of he, okay? Um, so sorry, ladies, it's just the form. But then again, it is the inspired word of God, so maybe there is something more there. I'm just saying there is. A... 
But you see the importance of this? It's better than jewels and gold and silver. It, her paths are paths of peace. She's the tree of life to lay hold of. Later in Proverbs chapter 8, again, in that section of Proverbs where it's all about the why, he says, for, or she says, now, now wisdom is speaking, whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord, but he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. And later in chapter 24, I love this one, my son, eat honey, for it is good. And the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul. If you find it, there will be a future and your hope will not be cut off. You may have all the money and all the fame and the toys and the smarts and the education and the pedigree and the career and the opportunities that this world and this life has to offer, and you can still be a miserable wretch and failure. And you can, and we all know people who have little of those things. They don't have a, a, all of that. And yet, they don't have those advantages. And their life is prosperous. And why is that? What's the secret to it? Scriptures say it's wisdom. It's God's wisdom. Now, as a reminder, we've talked a lot about wisdom the last few weeks. And just as a reminder, what is wisdom? It's, it's, a, it's essentially skill. It's the Hebrew word. It's skill. It's not knowledge. People confuse wisdom with knowledge. I acquire more knowledge, more knowledge, more knowledge, and therefore I'm wise. No, wisdom is not knowledge. It's Herschel Hobbes reminds us, knowledge is a mental accumulation of facts. Wisdom is the ability to use knowledge properly in the ordering of one's life. I have a great example of this in the book of Kings, where Solomon, the, the wisest man other than Jesus, the one who, before he became king, God says, I'll give you anything that you request. What would you like to have? And he says, I want double portions of wisdom. Give me wisdom. And God did. And there's this great story where Solomon's wisdom is put to the test. Two women have children. Some of you know this story. Others of you may not. And two women have children. One of the women, her baby dies. And she claims that the other woman's baby is her baby. They go back and forth, and no one's able to resolve the conflict. And so they, they take the two women with the living baby before Solomon. And they plead their case, trying to convince him who is the actual mother. And finally, Solomon gives his decision. He says, bring a sword, take the baby, cut it in half. Give one half to this woman and one half to this woman. At which point, the lying mother's response was rather ambivalent. But the true mother, as you can imagine, she was hysterical, freaked out. No, no, let her have the mother. Let her have the baby. Let the baby live. And from that reaction, of course, Solomon says, give the baby to the hysterical woman. She's the true mother. See, that's, that's wisdom. That is skill that is able to navigate the complexities of life beyond just like a, a rule book or a checklist or a formula. 
It's reading between the, the lines of life and those situations that are gray. Have you ever stopped to think about how much of our life isn't lived in the black and white of life, but is lived in the gray of life? Young people, I have news for you. The older you get, the more you're going to realize how much gray there is in life and how much wisdom you need. Tim Keller writes, so wisdom is not just knowing how things really work and how things really are, but also what I should do about it. The wise have a character of mind and heart, so they always do the right thing even when the rules don't apply. That's wisdom. God's wisdom brings prosperity over time. It brings a calmness to the soul, a capability to handle what life brings you. But there's but just kind of a warning here. In, in our society of instant gratification, that's not how wisdom works. Wisdom is not a quick fix scheme. It's not a get rich quick scheme. You don't pull this lever and that lever and then presto whammo, you're now prosperous and everything is great in your life. For wisdom, the God's wisdom that leads to prosperity, it's a lifelong quest. It is a a way of life, a true passion of the heart. It's not a formulaic technique. And as the, as the middle of this passage shows us, to get this prosperity, this wisdom, there is one overriding condition that God puts upon it. If we want this kind of prosperity, His prosperity, it comes with the condition, submission and obedience to Him. You know, these verses in verses 3 to 12, uh, they have verses that many of us, we love. Uh, some, of, some of these verses are some of the most popular verses in the book of Proverbs. And, and what's interesting about it is they actually take the form of the traditional covenantal blessings and the, 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 the stipulations and the blessings that we find, for example, in the book of Deuteronomy or the book of Jeremiah. Wherever God is interacting with his people, and, and he's saying, do this, and here is the consequence. Obey me and, and live according to this, and here is how I will bless you and reward me. And, and this is what you have here. And you have a series of basically couplets where God says, if, if you do this, here is how you will be prospered. Do this, here's how you will be prospered. Do this, here's how you be prospered. Now, we're not going to go deep into each one of these, but I at least want to point your attention to them. Okay, when you start in verses 3 and 4, you have these words that, that are encouraging us and telling us to fortify ourselves with the truth and the goodness of God. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. See, this is the language of Deuteronomy 6, right? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul and spirit. This is, the, this is that covenantal language. So love God like this. Write him upon your heart daily, continually, reading his word, meditating upon his word, being absorbed with God, and the result, you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Verses 5 and 6, I mean, how many of you perhaps, just to say, verses 5 and 6 is, if you had a life verse, Verses 5 and 6 is it. Raise your hand. Yeah, several of us, right? 
Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding and all of your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. I think I learned it in the King James. I mean, what a great passage telling us, commanding us, trust God with everything in our lives regardless of its perceived importance. And when we do, our paths will be made straight. In verse 7 and 8, we come back to that little phrase that we've spent a couple of messages with, to fear the Lord. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So, so continually reject self-reliance and our own pride and our own self-sufficiency. And the result will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. And then, of course, like much of Proverbs, over and over, Solomon comes back to the, the topic of money. You know, that, that, that third rail that no pastor's ever supposed to touch <laughs> in the sermon, money. But the Proverbs says so much about it. And how we handle money says so much about where we're at in our, in our walk with God. Whether we're going to live for eternity or are we going to just live for this life, where we are right now. And so we have to think about it. And, and what does he say in verse 9? Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. I mean, you can just hear. I mean, this is the covenantal language that goes from the, the, the Pentateuch all the way through the Psalms and, I mean, all the way to the end of the scripture, the Old Testament of Malachi, right? But bring the tithe into the storehouse and see if I will not fill up your barns and overflow. I mean, that language, is, this is all the covenantal language that is here. Obey me, submit to me in this area, and look how I will prosper you and bless you if you will simply live for what matters and not for the material. I mean, this, this passage is rich. And he even throws in a, a hard concept for us to absorb. But that if we're really pursuing God's wisdom, we'll welcome his, those times of painful grace when he disciplines us, convicts us of sin, maybe even brings our life down around our ears in order to, to help us see how truly proud or arrogant or blind we really are. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So you have all of these, this format of covenantal stipulations with the blessings that will make you prosperous, but there's a, there's a couple of things that we need to note about this prosperity. It's important that we just point this out. First of all, this prosperity that's being promised, these promises, they are generally true in this life. But they are ultimately true in our eternal life. Um, as is the case with much of the wisdom literature. This is wisdom literature. Right? So Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, several of the Psalms. This is wisdom literature. And in the Bible, that genre, um, we need to understand that as is normally the case, um, what it's saying is this is the norm. If, if you follow this, this is what normally happens in this life. It absolutely happens in the life to come. So, for example, uh, people who fear the Lord, 
verses 7 and 8. It says, if you fear the Lord, turn away from evil, you're going to have long life, good health, all those things. And when you look at that, normally that is true in this life, isn't it? When you, I mean, just think about it. Simply put, uh, those who fear the Lord turn away from evil. Simply, I mean, if nothing else, you aren't involved in all of the vice and the activities of this world that tend to destroy you physically, which means as a consequence, you're not involved in sinful pursuits that, that affect your health and shorten your lifespan. And so the norm is in this life, when you fear the Lord, you live a a longer, more prosperous, healthier life. But ultimately, people who fear the Lord, they still get sick, don't they? They still die, don't they? So verses 7 and 8, it's normally true in this life. It's absolutely true in eternity that those who fear the Lord will be refreshed and healthy and live forever. And you can go down the list and see that, yes, the norm for those who honor the Lord with their wealth is that in this life, they are better off financially and materially than those who just live for money and don't put God first with their financial resources. That is the norm. But that doesn't mean that it isn't the case where God occasionally takes people who who always honor God with their money, and yet they never have excess or extra. God's plan for their life is to always be living by faith on the edge, daily relying upon him for his grace. Or that he doesn't take someone who has honored him and has done very well, but then take them through a deep trial of tribulation that wipes out the financial resources, forcing them to depend even more upon him. But the norm is over the course of a person's life who honors God with their wealth and the financial resources, they are magnificently better off than people who do not. But it's absolutely true that the person who honors the Lord with their wealth in this life is storing up wealth in the world to come because we have all riches in Christ Jesus. And so we have to understand this about the Proverbs. People take the Proverbs and and it becomes a proof text for this life. This is what I'm basing my life upon. And then it doesn't happen. Well, what happened? Did God lie to me? I I didn't spare the rod to spoil the child, but he grew up and he's a demon. (laughs) What happened? God's word must not be true. No, we're talking about this is wisdom literature. You You need to keep that in mind, okay? Second thing we should note about this, we have these conditions, all these conditions about submission and obedience in order to gain wisdom and the prosperity that you and I want, and we need to make this observation. If you take these, you read these things, and you read these conditions, and I don't know about you, I look at them and I realize something. I am in deep, deep trouble. Did any of you forsake the steadfast love and faithfulness of God this week? 
Did any of you fail to write the love of God upon your own heart and write it upon your, love yourself more, live for yourself this week instead of the love of God and let that drive your decision? I know I did. Did any of you trust in the Lord with just part of your heart, part of your life this week? I mean, it says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on any of your understanding. That's the whole idea. I mean, I'm sorry. Did any of you obey that verse this week perfectly? I know I didn't. Did any of you perfectly reject self-reliance this week? Did any of you this month hold back financially from God? I mean, we're at the end of the month. I mean, you got time to catch up, but... Uh, <laughs> I mean, if we simply... Here's the thing, and this is what people... I mentioned this in the very first message. People come to the Proverbs, and they cut out their proverb. I like this proverb. This is good. I like it. And, and we do this with the Proverbs. Well, then let's be consistent. Let's do that with these verses. Let's cut them out. And let's just look at them. And if we do that, and we cut these verses out apart from the context and the entirety of the storyline of Scripture, every one of us this morning is in deep, deep trouble. And that's why our takeaway truth is so important, so that this passage is put in the right context. Because ultimately, wisdom... Ultimate, excuse me, ultimate wisdom, which leads to ultimate prosperity, is perfected and found in Christ our Savior alone. See, church, the, the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew concept of wisdom, the word for wisdom in the Hebrew, the, the Greek word for that in the New Testament is the word logos. So John likes that word logos. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Logos. The Logos was with God. The Logos was God. And the Logos took on flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, even the glory of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. So, in other words, God's wisdom took on flesh he lived the life of a perfect human being, fulfilling all of the covenantal promises and commands, or all of the covenantal commands and stipulations that were put before us in the old covenant. The, the commands that we were to obey, he lived them out perfectly, earning for us the blessings of the covenant. In fact, if you look at what Jesus says at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And so Jesus, God's wisdom, comes to earth fulfilling that covenant of works that God made with man to perfectly obey him and everything so that we can have life. Remember that covenant? All the way back in the garden, he tells humanity, if you obey me, if you love me, if you write that love upon your heart, everything that the Proverbs passage is referring to, you can just look back in Genesis and see this is what it means to be in fellowship with God like Adam and Eve before sin came. 
And Proverbs 3 is just kind of unpacking and illustrating what that looks like in everyday life. Remember, wisdom literature is, is God's word and God's command and working man's clothes. It's, 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 a, it's touching everyday life. What does it look like to, to, to live in a holy fulfillment of that covenant that God made with humanity all the way back in the garden? And so God's wisdom took on human flesh and obeyed all of those covenant stipulations. And as a result, in him, we are able to enjoy the rewards of that covenant. Only in him do we find that perfect wisdom. Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 says, So we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He is the wisdom of God, and if you're a believer, he now lives inside of you. The wisdom of God, the power of God through his spirit is now living inside of us. And this person who stood in our place and died for us, lived that life where we are to live, has now purchased all of these rewards of perfect obedience through his perfect life, and they are ours to be received as a gift through faith in him. And by being united in him, we have access to this power, to this wisdom, to these rewards that come through Jesus Christ. And so when we come to a passage like this, we don't look at it like a formula. I'm going to trust in the Lord so that my ways will be made straight. Listen, God's wisdom is already living inside of you. The Holy Spirit is there. He is transforming you. You are going to end up looking like the wisdom of God. That's your destiny. That's your destiny. That's the sanctification, the portion of 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. The wisdom of God inside of you, Jesus, is going to transform you so that you resemble the wisdom of God. And so we come to passages like this and we rejoice knowing what our destiny is, saying, now, now Lord, make this true in time and space right now. Help me to trust you when I don't. Help me to honor you when I don't. Help me to rely upon you when I rely upon myself. Give me the grace that I help what is mine ultimately, eternally. Help it to be more real right now. Not in order to get the rewards, not in order to get the favor, but because it's already been given to us in Jesus Christ. That's our birthright. Let's claim our birthright, church, through Jesus. Heavenly Father, would you help us to live in light of our birthright? And give us the grace we need to rely upon you. And when we, that when we trust, our trust is pure and holy. Help us, to, Lord Jesus, to, to, to learn to put to death self-reliance. It is so easy for us to, to be proud and to think that we have the answers or to live in our own power. 
when this verse reminds us that there is nothing in our life, regardless of the significance, the most insignificant challenge of this life, we don't have the power to overcome it. That's how weak we are apart from you, Lord Jesus. Would you help us to become more aware of this? Would you help us to live more of our daily life in the trenches of life, in the little things of life, with this kind of, of gospel awareness? Give us eyes that can see this need. And truly, Lord Jesus, make us poor in spirit, for then we will inherit the kingdom of God. In your name we pray these things, Jesus. Amen.